Hello, Marcus Brigstock here. For rights reasons, we are not able to include all of the music featured in the original Cabinet of Jazz radio series. I would urge you, beg you, plead with you to head in the direction of whatever streaming service you have or vinyl records you have or whatever you've got and go and listen to this incredible music. The Cabinet of Jazz with Marcus Brigstock on Jazz FM. Listening colour. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Cabinet of Jazz recorded live at Peter Express Soho for Jazz FM. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Marcus Brigstock. Thank you so much for being here. It has been such a delight recording these live shows here. Now, As you know by now, each week I swear in a new president who then suggests members of their cabinet selected from the world of jazz, soul, reggae and blues. And the idea stems from Dizzy Gillespie's 1964 run for president. Uh, When he ran, Dizzy Gillespie suggested that Max Roach would be his defence secretary. Presumably there'd be fewer wars, but with immaculate timing. Uh, He also wanted Charlie Mingus as Minister for Peace, and we will explain in some detail later on why that wouldn't have worked. (laughs) It's time, ladies and gentlemen, to introduce tonight's president-elect. He is a towering musician and producer. I'm so pleased this guy's here. His work from inside a leafy suburban address in the lovely middle-class area of Barnes in South London helped to shape the sound of reggae music, making sound systems across the UK rumble and shake with his exquisitely produced dub plates. When lovers rock, they rock to him. Would you please welcome your next president, Dennis Bavell. Bonsoir. (laughs) That's your president speaking. Pay attention, people. We haven't sworn him in yet. So he's like president-elect for now. Dennis, thank you so much for being here, man. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for the invitation. It's an um, absolute pleasure. It's just nice to leave the house the, these days. The drop it? Yeah, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's not go there. You've been uh, you've been performing since uh, the lockdowns and business lifted. What you been up to? Mm, um, I've been working on a project with Linton Quincy Johnson that we've been working on for twenty years, and we've just gained enough time to kind of look at it properly. And um, wait a minute, you and LKJ, because you've done so much amazing work mm-hmm. with, with LKJ over the years, but you've had something on the boil for 20 years that we're about to hear. He calls it his vanity project. And Lyndon <laughs> Quasi Johnson's vanity project. Yeah. This I cannot wait to hear. You will soon, if we actually get it done. <laughs> Even if you don't, I'm coming round to yours. I want to know, right, know more about this. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's promising to be very good. So it was a, a delight to uh, to discover that you were the producer of Silly Games, which uh, yeah was always an incredible piece of music. But because of the Small Axe program, Steve McQueen's beautiful Small Axe, more exposed. It's, yeah, it's 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 had a like a massive resurgence. I mm. mean, my three month old baby has heard Silly Games. I would say more than any other tune. <laughs> it's or on any other child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's on constant repetition. And you were in the episode as well. Um, I went along to see Steve and he gave me the script and I was horrified at the first to find that he was planning to honour that song. And I was like, are you going to play it 
in the dance is like, yeah, I'm going to play it three times, in fact, you know, kind of giving it the old rewind treatment. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, then uh, I discovered that he was planning to get the cast to sing it as well. So then I had to step in and say, ah, let's get the words right. Because everyone that I'd met there was singing the opening line, like, I've been watching you. And I thought, I could never have written that. <laughs> I've been wanting you sounds, you know, much nicer, doesn't it? Or yeah. I've been wanting to. <laughs> So it's selecting these jazz musicians, which is outside of the musical area that you've specialised in, was a bit of a musical journey for you, wasn't it? Going back to the music that you grew yeah. up listening to. My dad uh, would frisk me every time I left his living room to see which record I'd stolen <laughs> or borrowed. Yeah, of course, always borrowed, always one, intended to a get A one-way borrowed, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, it was, you know delightful to be taken right back to that time when I was slowing down jazz records on my record player to kind of figure out the licks mm -hmm. and then would have to transpose them back up to another key <laughs> because slowed down they were in another key and uh, hmm. you see jazz and, and reggae as kind of like brothers they are very much how so siblings mm -hmm. well they've suffered They've been rebuked and refused mm -hmm. and then finally loved. Yeah. That's exactly the same path that jazz has taken. I mean, in the 60s, my uncle showed me a book that was very um, derogative of jazz and jazz musicians and inviting people not to let their children listen to it. Outrageous. So what uh, what was playing? What were the records that you uh, that you borrowed from your dad when well, you were growing um, up? Well, there were a couple of Duke Ellington mm -hmm. and um, some Count Basie and um, Bill Dodgett, mm -hmm. because at the time when Hank Marvin was the best guitarist in these parts, and then along came people like Jimi Hendrix to disprove that, and Eric Clapton even. Yeah. My thought of playing guitar would have been exactly honky-tonk. Yeah. I mean, the guitar work and that. If you could stand in front of your friends and repeat that, you'd be a damn good guitar player. Was it was a guitar you picked up first when you were growing yes. up? Yes. Yeah. Uh, because my, my mother's brother, Uncle Sam, mm -hmm. he was a guitar player and uh, played in a quartet kind of jazz calypso played around the hotels mm. in Barbados. And uh, I thought, that's a cool job. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that you looks all right. Wake up, wake up at four o'clock in the afternoon, go and do a gig, come back at two o'clock and go to bed again. And, uh, you know, and, have the whole day to yourself. And did it turn out as good as you hoped? Did you enjoy touring? At first, it was very exciting to go around the world and, you know, people wanting you to come there and get up and, and, but then when you're on the other side of the world and you're actually going on stage at the equivalent of 8 a.m. for your body. Yeah. And you're expected to, you know, wiggle and shake and, and everyone back home is asleep. 
Yeah, there's a there's a moment, isn't there, in most performers' careers when, you know, early on you get asked, as you said, to these amazing places where the most exciting gigs are the ones really near your house. Yeah. <laughs> You're not joking there. I remember the most exciting gig with me back in the 70s being Battersea Town Hall. I could walk to the gig and walk home. Yeah. That's the dream, man. That's absolutely the dream. Absolutely. Once was working with a, a fellow called Boy George, and he was doing this song called um, Bigger Than War. Love is bigger than war. And when he was out of the room, I said to Richard Drum, I said, he best be having something like going, bigger than you, bigger than me, bigger than me, bigger than you, bigger than you, bigger than me, bigger than you, bigger than you, bigger than you, bigger than me, bigger than me, bigger than me, bigger than me, bigger than me. And he came back and heard me. He's like, oh no, he's going, huh, I like that. Will you do it? <laughs> so, <laughs> and put it in. I think he did it deliberately to intimidate me and put it in in the record. And then he asked me to go and tour with him. And I thought, George, I don't know. You've just come out of Pendentville, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Not good for my street cred. <laughs> you know, and then I decided to do it under heavy disguise. Yeah. Right, so I was disguised, and we went on to the O2, and I came on, bigger than me, bigger than me, bigger than you, bigger than you, bigger than me, bigger than me, bigger than you. And when I finished, he went, Dennis Bova. Then my phone was ringing. It was the next door neighbor's son going, Den, I didn't know you did stuff like that. That weren't me. It weren't me. So growing up listening and borrowing these these jazz records, when did reggae? come into your life and, and how did that all start for you? Once my friend George said to me, Dennis, there's only one Jimi Hendrix and it ain't you. <laughs> I was like, Ouch. I, was, I, I was very hurt. I was like, yeah. what do you mean? I can play Hey Joe. I am doing Purple Haze. And he's going, mate, the in thing is Toots and the Maytels. I was like, that's my dad's view. My mum and dad listened to that. He's going, Prince Buster, you kidding? That's the old folks things. He's going, you know why you're saying that? Because you can't play it. <laughs> and that was like a red flag to a bull. I was like, what? You're telling me that I can't play reggae? Listen to this. And as a matter of fact, I formed a reggae band. Strictly reggae and goes, now you're going a bit too far because most bands have a bit of R&B and a bit of pop in there. So you to be a strictly reggae band, professional suicide. <laughs> so I thought, all right, we'll die on stage then. It kind of worked out all right though. Yeah. I love the stuff you're saying about the way in which jazz music and reggae music are like siblings, yes. you know, and that there's suffering in there. And also like musically, you know, I, I remember being blown away listening to, um, uh, I think it's called Dubbing with Horns, the Tommy McCook record. Okay, right. Tommy fr from the Scatterlights. And yeah, you listen to Tommy that, McCook. and like that is a, that's a deeply jazz-infused record. Well, he's a sax player, and um, jazz is the thing that saxophonists do best. I mean, you know, mm. if you want to show off, you're a saxophonist. A few jazz licks in there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and if, by the way, if you haven't heard uh, Jazz to Peace from Dennis's Babylon soundtrack, uh, do go and check it out. It's uh, exactly what we're talking about, the yeah. meeting of these two siblings absolutely. and holding each other tight. It's a, you know a blinding piece of music, man. So listen, we need to get you sworn in if you're going to be our president. This is important. Now, usually, obviously, when a president swears in, they swear in 
on a Bible, but um, Waterstones are completely sold out. So, uh, <laughs> so we've I've asked you, in fact, to come up with something else that you want to swear in on, a, a, mm. like a holy document for you. Now, what have you chosen for your... Well, I've chosen a piece by Linton Percy Johnson, What About the Working Class? And his what is W-O-T. What about it? Now, those who are lucky enough to be here at this uh, recording this evening at uh, Pizza Express in the heart of Soho can see uh, something rather special that those of you listening at home uh, cannot. And that is that I've got the original um, acetate of that recording for you to place your hand on. Look at this, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't that special? I know. If only those listening at home were lucky enough to be here. Dennis, I, mean, I know this is your own work, but I'm okay. going to just place that there. It's obviously worth a fortune. Please be very careful. If you could just delicately place your hand on that uh, on that piece of musical history, that mm-hmm. artifact, and read the oath that we've prepared for you. I do solemnly swear that I shall uphold the values, aspirations, and culture of the Republic of Jazz, soul, reggae, and blues. When crisis is the order of the day, when so much people crying out for change, as your president, I will bring it. I will bring it from the east to the west, to the land I love the best. The ruling classes, them is in a mess. Oh yes, as your president, I swear, mina mess. <laughs> LKJ says, insurrection is the order of the day. And take it easy. I am President Dennis Bovell. I got this. Wind back the insurrection. No more silly games. Hope, love, and harmony shall be the order of the day. So help me this. Mr. President. Beautifully sworn in. Yes, boss. That's it. Everything you say now is law. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. it. So, I mean, you've toured, you've worked with loads of musicians over the years, mm-hmm. poets, and, and produced, made your own music and all the rest of it. Do you feel like the world would be a better place if it was run by musicians? Of course. We'd know exactly which chords to play <laughs> or not to play. You feel like literally yeah. musicians could create a sense of harmony that's, that's missing. I think we, we create that every song we write and a, appeal for peace and love, you know, and um, people could get used to that. They should get used to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, what about a piece of love or some love and peace? Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that right. side of it. My slight concern is the whole showing up on time thing. Um, <clears throat> well, the thing about showing up, as long as you've shown up, <laughs> any time is the right time, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's better late than never. Parliamentary sittings will begin at around uh, 10, yeah. 10 p.m. Whenever everyone's there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a band rehearsal. <laughs> Wait till everybody comes. And then start. Yeah. And not straight away either. Let's jam these ideas. Well, yeah, we've got to chew the fat. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually a law will get passed sometime between four and five in the morning. Hopefully one person is still sober enough to write it down. Yeah, or or dictate it. 
Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> she record everything so we'll yeah, go back the next that's day. Right. All right, folks, we've met and now inaugurated our president of the week. So now we need to find out who will be in his cabinet. We're going to play this and then you can tell me who it is. That's my prime minister, the honorable Dizzy Gillespie. Yes, indeed. That was On the Sunny Side of the Street, performed by Dizzy Gillespie, Sonny Rollins and Sonny Stitt from the album And So the Jazz Started. Published by Verve Records, the track was composed by Jimmy McHugh with lyrics by Dorothy Fields. On the Sunny Side of the Street, what a, what a great choice. I'm telling you because, please God, every street has a sunny side, you know. Yeah. And if you can see the sunny side of the street and indulge in showing the colours that you see, and the colors that shone out of their saxophones, trumpet and all the horn section, you know, it, it was just so beautiful that I had to choose that song. Yes. A, a, sunny Side of the Street. A beautiful track. And yeah. three huge players on there, Sonny Stitt, Sonny yeah. Rollins, and Dizzy Gillespie. Stalwarts. Yeah, 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 absolutely. They said you can only choose four, so I would three in the first one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You snuck a few in. Mate, straight in there. Good for you. So this is, Dizzy Gillespie will be your prime minister. You'll Absolutely. be president. Yeah. He'll be prime minister. He'll run things while I look over his shoulder. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I was going to ask, like, is he not going to undermine your authority? Are you he worried about try. that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, but I can veto him. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, mm. you can set up this republic any way you want it, Dennis. Right, or I'll set, I'll set my big boys on him. That's how it's going to work. So, well, if you don't tell the line, hello. Listen, the speed with which you're changing the rules of this particular program, you should definitely go straight into the government we have here. They love all this. Yeah, <laughs> I can show them a thing or two. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. So was Dizzy Gillespie one of the artists that would be played in your parents' house growing up? Frequently. Yeah. Frequently. And I like watching them on TV. Mm-hmm. See the size of them jaws. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what other qualities would you like from your prime minister? What do you want well, him to be able to do? To be able to be believable. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when Dizzy puts that trumpet in his mouth, you have to believe the sound that comes out of it. Like butterfly, like feathers in the air. Mm-hmm. Notes just come out flowing. You yeah, know, yeah, not bitty at all. Yeah, and and I think that's um, resemblant of truthful speech. Absolutely, I got to say, I think this is a pretty good, a, a very good choice for, for Me prime too. minister. Me too. Yeah, of course you do. You came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the audience for for democratic support behind this idea. Awesome. <laughs> all right. It's a beautiful, hopeful track, that, as well, The Sunny Side mm. of the Street. Yeah. You know, is that how you see your presidency unfolding? You'd yes. Like to... I, I, you know, I see um, brighter days ahead. Yeah, we could do with some of those. Maybe. For sure. All right. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm going to say this is past. Dizzy Gillespie is prime minister. Think... The audience likes it. Yeah. He wanted to be president. Yeah, you know, he, he ran twice. He ran in 64 and then in the 70s as well. And he was a serious political brain. Absolutely. You know, it's only that some people were stupid enough for votes for other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, Dennis, time for your second selection of the evening. Let's have a listen to this.
That was Better Get It In Your Soul, written and performed by Charlie Mingus from the album Mingus, 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 Mingus on Impulse Records. Now, what role do you want Charlie Mingus to play? He's going to be advisor to the president. Because... Slow down there, Dennis. Hang on a second. So far, right, since you've been president, you've appointed a prime minister mm-hmm. and an advisor. Yeah. I think <laughs> this is looking increasingly like you want to take this presidency thing pretty easy. Listen. <laughs> That's how, you know, most presidents, they go in the job young, and, they, and in a year's time, they're great. <laughs> yes. I'm true. already there. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'll just fall out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Charlie Mingus, being a bass player myself, mm-hmm. I would take a lot of advice from Mr. Mingus, because mm-hmm. there's one man who knows his way around the bass. And uh, being a bass president, you have to have a bass advisor, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, the only person I can see around in, in the genre that's fit would be Charlie Mingus. Yeah? Because you heard all those horns, and all that, and he was going, boom, 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 to hold it down for us. You know, you've got time to think about what note you're going to play in that chord. I honestly had no idea you had thought about this as much as you clearly have. That's No, genuinely, that's like a really good argument for it. Amongst all the noise and all of the, the, the brass that's yeah. going on, you've got someone who's just keeping the rhythm yeah. going, playing yeah. it, making yeah. it rich yeah. and melodic. in it. I mean, that's very solid for an advisor. That's a terrific person to have an advisor. I think so. Yes, I think so too. Apart from the fact that Charlie Mingus's other name, apart from Mingus, 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 is the angry man of jazz. <laughs> I know. Known for his wild temper tantrums. Yeah, that's why he would be the right man to advise me because I'm wilder than that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now, if Charlie Mingus goes, now cool down, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you want is this... Yeah. It's kind of the back of your head going, your nan's voice going, you know you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> but also with the possibility of an eruption at any moment. Yeah. 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 All right, you've made what I thought was a negative into a positive. I, okay, then. I'm not sure that the angry man of jazz, I mean, do you want someone who's, who's going to get angry and kick off? Well, I want someone who's got the reputation of being able to get angry and kick off so people won't disrespect him. I don't see how anybody could disrespect Mingus. I mean, maybe no. maybe people did, and that's why he got so angry. But it, he was very good friends with Joni Mitchell mm-hmm. in his far too short life. Towards the end of his yeah. short life, they were closer and closer. Her, yeah. her record, Mingus, actually featured on this show in Izzy Sooty's episode. I tell you, I learned something about Mingus, though. You may still want him to be your uh, your chief advisor, but did you know that in the 50s he created a cat toilet training book? I'm not even kidding. So we got him to blame for cat litter. Yeah, no, no, no. He went, he went way beyond cat litter, right? Uh, the, Charles, the Charles Mingus catalog. I'm not even oh, kidding. Okay, yeah. all right, I get For it. toilet training your cat, which he had developed through training his own cat, it, the name of his cat, Nightlife. Okay. What a cool name for a cat. Hey, I mean, okay. my sister had a cat called Hendrix. Okay. Which I also thought was quite a cool name. I have a chameleon called Roy. All right. Yeah. 
doesn't matter. But yeah, he, he self-published it and apparently said to his guest, don't be surprised if you hear the toilet flush in the middle of the night. A cat can learn how to do it, spurred on by his instinct to cover up. Mm-hmm. Did you know that about Mengus? No, but I do now and I don't, <laughs> I don't blame him for it. My cat knows how to go to the bidet and stand there until someone opens the thing and the water comes out and drinks it straight from the tap. Really? He does. Wow, you and Mingus are even more kindred spirits there than I... Uh... Bass players. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Crazy bass players. All right, well, I mean, look, the audience here, to be honest, usually just wave through everything that happens. But I want you to think about this. The angry man of jazz... Should the angry man of jazz be advising the president? Do you want some rage? No, so, oh, no, from down there. Who's it? Who, who thinks Mingus should be the chief advisor? Okay, all right. Democracy, let's see. Now, who thinks that it would be too risky to give Mingus this much power? That's uh, weirdly the one person one who man. knew Mingus when he was alive. So that carries, <laughs> <laughs> carries a lot of weight. Listen, Dennis, I was very resistant to this idea, but right. the audience have, have persuaded me. Mingus is in. All right. So there we go. All right. Okay, so Charlie Mingus will be your chief advisor. Now, I've set the audience here at Pizza Express Soho uh, a little task, and they've been coming up with their own ideas for cabinet members, and here's what some of you have suggested. Who from the world of soul, blues, reggae, and jazz would you nominate into the cabinet of jazz? Sun Ra, head of the Space Council. (laughs) Sun Ra, more than capable of leaving the planet without actually leaving the planet. (laughs) Jan Garbarek, uh, Minister of Moral Standards. Wow, Dennis, what kind of audience have you attracted here? (laughs) My husband played him endlessly as a seduction attempt. (laughs) Oh, and it worked. Well, that... (laughs) All right, well, fair enough. There we go. That that took a turn I wasn't expecting. Okay, who would you nominate from the world of soul, blues and jazz to enter the cabinet of jazz? Uh, Muddy Waters... And what role? He'd be head of sanitation. (laughs) Uh, All right, Dennis, time for your next selection. Uh, I won't say what ministerial position this person's going to take up. Let's just hear the track. That was Honky Tonk, performed by Bill Doggett, with vocals from Tommy Brown. It's written by Bill Doggett, Billy Butler, Clifford Scott, and Shep Shepard. So, Bill Doggett, what position are you going to put him in? I want this man to be the foreign minister... Because in the days when there were just a few jazz festivals around in Europe and that, he seemed to be on every one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember him being announced to play in a place called Jean Le Pen. I think that's the right pronunciation of it. In France, it was a hipster's um, paradise, you know, Young children had to run away from home and go there mm-hmm. and uh, indulge in whatever was going on. And whatever was going on there was all this fantastic jazz festival. And uh, Bill Dodgett was on there mm-hmm. right, for a few years well. And he seemed to be the one jazz musician that toured all over Europe, mm-hmm. uh, especially with that tune, Honky Tonk. And in fact, um, earlier I said 
that in order to learn the guitar licks on this track, I slowed my dad's 78 mm-hmm. down to 45. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So learn, you could learn it? So I could learn it. And because it was such a piece that if you stood as a 14-year-old and repeated every note for that, mm-hmm. you'd be hailed as a hero. Those musicians who went out of America and many of them finding homes in Europe because they were welcomed, you know, yeah. because the, the racial discrimination yeah. was... Much more appreciation. Yeah. So much more. I mean, it's touched on in Harris Blues and other movies of the time. Bill Dodgett, arguably a little bit overlooked amongst the, yeah. amongst the greats, you know? I know. That's why I told him to go out and spread the word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, a, that's a, a cracking piece of music. Do you think he would be diplomatic? I mean, he's a touring musician. It's not I'm it's sure not he easy. knew how to be diplomatic because he was booked over and over again. He was there, like, for years on end. He was a repeat visitor mm-hmm. to Europe, France, Germany, Italy, places like that, you know. And um, I don't think many of them had... Uh, the touring strength that he had. Yeah, yeah. He had, I mean, originally wanted to be a trumpet player, uh, which begs the question, did you go straight to guitar? Did you try other instruments? That was The first one was a harmonica. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah? Can you still blow? Yeah, definitely. I tried to um, do the chromatic thing like Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know, my tongue got in the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harder than it looks. They're, yeah, it they're, they're so, they're so the, small. Yeah. So harmonica and, and bass. Then, and then guitar. And then guitar. But then when I uh, come to my secondary school, the music teacher looked at me and said, you're going to play the contrabass. Uh-huh. I was like, no, why? I want to play cello. He's going, well, this one's a bit bigger than the cello. <laughs> and because I was quite a tall lad, he stood it up. My yeah. shoulder was in the right place, and he went, "Now put your hands around it." For they wouldn't let me pluck it with my fingers. They gave me a bow, and I had to go. And then I got fed up with that. And Hendrix came, and I thought, "No, I don't want to be a bass player. I want to be a guitarist again." Mm-hmm. All that all that feedback and all that wild going on, you know. Yeah. And uh, whilst I was doing some sessions for a a studio in Brockley called Eve, the owner of the studio said to me, you're a good bass player, but your guitar playing is not good. I was like, what? I know this guy who will wipe the floor with you. I went, bring him. (laughs) Bring him to me. Bring him to me. Let's have a duel. And uh, when the kid plugged in and started playing, I was like, you're fired. You're fired. <laughs> Both hands, left Both and hands. right, gone. Both fired. Done. Right, so I'll tell you what, mate. If you play the guitar, I'll play the bass. And we formed a band in 1975, and him and I have been the bass player and guitarist for Linton Cressy Johnson for the last 45 years. Wow. Wow, that's so cool. His name is John Kapai. So when you, but when you're not creating new music and you're just playing stuff for pleasure, mm. who are you listening to at the moment? King Tubby. Yeah? Yeah. I'm into heavy dubwise mm-hmm. and the electronics of it, you know, and um, the, the mashing up of 
real recordings because that's what dub is. You get a nice recording and then you smash it to bits. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like, um, what's that thing, the piñata? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a musical piñata. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if you can do that in the studio and smash that track to bits and people go, oh, that's really good. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I was mixing um, Arcade Fire uh-huh. and uh, David Barry had done uh, a voice on a track called Reflector. Reflector. Yeah, yeah. So I took it and tuned it down and went, So if you can't do that, that's David Barry. It ain't now. Yeah. <laughs> I think he heard it before he passed and went, cheeky chappy. <laughs> Let's come back to uh, Bill Dodgett then as your foreign minister. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, look, my job is to put up resistance here, but this is quite tricky. I mean, you're basing this on the fact that he toured Europe. I mean, that could be any musician. No, not in those times. In those times, only the chosen few played outside of the States. Mm -hmm. And he was one. And made it last. Yeah. Yeah. All right, fine, we'll pass it. Bill Dodgett as foreign minister. There we go. All right, Mr. President, let's hear your final selection. I Got Rhythm is composed by George Gershwin with lyrics by Ira Gershwin and it's performed by Johnny Dankworth there and his orchestra with vocals from Cleo Lane taken from the album The Best of Johnny Dankworth, Volume 2 on EMI Records. So, Dame Cleo Lane. Correct. What position would you like her to take up? She will be the Home Secretary. Reason being, here being the new home of jazz uh, in Europe because uh, jazz ran away a long time ago and it was looking for a place to to stay and uh, English musicians welcomed it and embraced it. And uh, this lady was at the cutting head of getting people to understand what jazz was about and she really did her work. And um, as a person of color who had to slash her way through to make it because people were going, that's not real. Ella Fitzgerald's real, you're not jazz. And her and Ronnie Scott and Johnny Dankworth and all them people, you know, made it possible for people in this part to appreciate and listen to jazz, albeit homegrown roots, but Mm -hmm. jazz. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, established a fantastic venue just up near Milton Keynes, the Stables. Have you played yeah, the, at the Stables? I haven't played there, no, but I know, but I know where I know. It's a great, great venue if, if anybody's up just near Milton Keynes. It's great, and it's a wonderful auditorium, and they book incredible music and some very good comedy as well. <clears throat> <laughs> My tour tickets will be available after the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, <laughs> So Dame Cleo Lane, a pioneer who, again, maybe is a little bit overlooked. People go to the American, the the big singers from the States. I've always admired her um, bottle and Mm -hmm. her perseverance. And and she's really good at scatting as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Why did you pick that track, I Got Rhythm? Uh, Because it was widely believed by people like um, Buddy Rich that... British musicians or British entertainers had no rhythm. I mean, I once heard a clip where Buddy Rich was 
slagging off his band and said, you sound like a bunch of English musicians, and I took offense to that. Outrageous. Like, How dare he? You know, um, and so it was felt that the jazz that was being constructed or was being played in these parts wasn't the real thing. It was close, but it wasn't the real thing. And Johnny Dankworth and Cleo Lane made it the real thing. Yeah, you know, for sure. From, from these shores. I grew up uh, obsessed with The Muppet Show, and I remain obsessed with The Muppet Show, not least because it introduced me to some of the best music that's ever been produced. They really knew what they were doing. There was yeah. a sketch... And every time I hear I Got Rhythm, I always remember it. And it's Fozzie Bear trying to sing I Got Rhythm. And uh, he's going, I got rhythm. I got rhythm. And then they stop him and whisper in his ear and he just turns, puts his hands out and goes, I don't got rhythm. <laughs> it's just a beautiful sketch. So Dame Cleo Lane as Home Secretary, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it to the audience uh, what do you think? Home Secretary, Dame Cleo Lane. It's very, very, four very popular choices. You've made this very difficult for I me. I thought about it. Well, I know you did. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, now that you're president, what's top of the list? What do you want to achieve? Peace and harmony, respect for each other. Mm -hmm. That's top of my list. And uh, what, by what means? How are you going to bring it about? Any means possible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've assembled a, a very supportive cabinet around you. Mm -hmm. You've got a prime minister and a chief advisor. Mm -hmm. You've got a solid home secretary whose work you celebrate, Cleo Lane, uh, here in the UK, and a foreign secretary who's used to touring, used to being, at least in Europe, I mean, there are some... Uh, things need to be mended between us and them. Absolutely. So it's a, it's a very good start. Let's <laughs> send in Bill. Yeah, yeah. All right, I've listened and considered your four choices. Uh, I've no choice but to let them through. Um, that is very nearly all the time we have for this week. My thanks to this week's president, Dennis Bavel, to my producer, Cherie Houston, exec producer, Alison Vernon-Smith, and of course, to Pizza Express. The Cabinet of Jazz is a Loftus media production for Jazz FM, supported by the Audio Content Fund. Ladies and gentlemen, your president, Dennis Bavel. <laughs> <laughs>